Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today we're going to be uh, in the passage we're, we're going to be in for uh, this week and next week and last week, Romans 12. So Romans 12 is where I want you to turn. Uh, if you're not sure how to find Romans 12, I'm going to put a graphic up on the screen behind me that gives some basic instructions on how to go to looking for it. So if you want to grab one of the Bibles that are in the backs of the pew and you want to uh, pull that passage out, we're going to go through this whole chapter today. Uh, So it will be handy to have that passage out uh, to be looking at it. So we'll leave this graphic on the screen for a couple minutes to help you navigate and locate Romans chapter 12. Now, I've got two sons. I've got a 12-year-old and a 5-year-old, and I absolutely love those two boys. Um, They're both here today running around, probably creating some chaos and havoc uh, for some some innocent teacher that's here today. Um, But can I kind of express a pet peeve that I've got about being a father? I I, got to be honest, the preferential treatment that women get in pregnancy and birth. I mean, so, so uh, go to the birth of my first child. They gave my wife a bed. You know what I got? I got a chair. Nurses would come in and give her ice out of a cup, like spoon feed it to her. Did anybody ask me if I wanted ice? No. They even asked me to give her ice, and they not once offered me anything. And then the birthing process begins, and it's all about her. I mean, she squeezed my hand pretty hard, and nobody asked if I was okay. Nobody. I just don't, it can't be that hard. Right? Does this sound pretty ridiculous? It should. And as a married husband and a husband that wants to remain happily married, this is all sarcasm, people. It's a joke. But the extremity is intentional because let me ask you a question real quick. Do you think that sometimes we approach our relationship with God with that same kind of attitude? Oh, everything's about God. What about me? All the songs are about Him. What about me? Don't we sometimes get a little selfish and self-absorbed and self-focused a little too much when it comes to God? You may be going, well, I don't do that. I'm Let's, let's look at that today, shall we? So take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 12. We're going to start in verse 3, but let me give you some background. Last week we were, in, well, two weeks ago, we were in Romans 12 and we studied verses 1 and 2. Now, let me read those two passages for you. But I'm actually going to start in the previous chapter, the last verse of chapter 11. This is verse 36. It says, for him, meaning God, for him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Then you jump into Romans 12 verse 1. Remember, Paul has just, Paul's the guy who wrote Romans. Paul has just proclaimed that everything 
belongs to God. Everything that's worth giving glory for belongs to him. None of it belongs to us. Look at what he says then in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He continues in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So last week we talked about how everything within us is about giving glory to Him. It's about pointing people to Him. And the call of Christ is to live sacrificially. That's our act of worship. We offer our lives as an act of sacrifice for Him. Our singing should be a reflection of our life. Our singing is just a teensy tiny piece of what true worship is. Romans 12 says that our true worship is the way we live day in and day out. What we do in here for an hour on Sunday mornings is the tiniest reflection of what true worship is. When we sing, I mentioned last uh, two weeks ago, when we sing about God's salvation, yet we don't take that out to our, our neighbors and our coworkers and our family and our friends, when we don't tell them about the salvation of Jesus, but we sing it up here, isn't that a little bit of hypocrisy on our part? I've got the greatest gift in the world. I've got the salvation of Jesus. But I'm not going to share that with anybody. Our singing should reflect the life that we live in worship to Him. That's what Revelation tw- or Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, is trying to convey to us. So, what is a life of worship then? Well, Paul goes on and spends the rest of chapter 12 explaining what a life of worship looks like. So, look with me now in verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Okay, right there. If that's worship, that's hard, right? We, by human nature, are designed to think of ourselves highly. That's what sin has done in our minds. We think we've got it all together. We think we're the stuff. Look at how good I am. Look at how together I've got it. But in reality, true worship is humility. It's not thinking of ourselves too highly. And that actually brings me to today's big idea. This is the idea that I want you to really grasp onto and I want you to think about this week. Today's big idea is simply this. Worship is all about God, not you. If we're not supposed to be thinking too highly of ourselves, and the previous three verses to this one has spoken and talked about and repeated that everything's about Him, then our worship should be all about God, not about us, right? And so that's one of the things that I want us to see in this passage in Romans 12 this week, is that worship has nothing to do with you. Worship is pointing 
and adoring and loving and praising and honoring him. That's the point. So let's keep going. Back to verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, or, or many parts, and the members, or the parts, do not all have the same function. So we, though many... Our one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, in, in, to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, we are part of something much bigger than us, aren't we? If worship is all about God, and God has instructed and designed us to be part of a body, and what's the body? The church. Then we are designed, God has made us to be a part of something bigger than us. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and multiple other places use this illustration of a human body. This idea that I've got fingers and, and el uh, elbows and shoulders and a head and eyes and ears and all the various parts of my body and each of those parts serve a function, but by themselves they would struggle to serve that function. If I need a drink of water, I'm going to need my hand to do that because I've got to be able to reach out. Oh, wait, now I need my elbow and my shoulder, don't I? But I don't have a cup anywhere near me, so I need my legs to take my elbow and my shoulder and my hand to my cup. But I still haven't taken a drink, have I? I've used my legs, my feet, my knees, my hips. I've used my shoulder and my elbow and my hand. But I need my mouth and my lips and my throat to take a drink. And every single one of us as parts of the body of Christ. We serve a function. And if God designed you to serve a function, but you're not doing it, you're not serving in that area, then how are the other parts of the body suffering as a result of your unwillingness to serve? I've heard many people say over the years, yeah, I can be a Christian and not belong to a church. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Yeah, that's not what the Bible says. I've heard people say, yeah, you can be a Christian and not go. No, you can't. I don't think you can take it that far. The Bible repeatedly says that Jesus created the church because he loves the church. I can say I'm married and never go home to see my wife. Does that mean I've got a good marriage? Absolutely not. If I claim to love something, I'm going to spend time with that. 
Christ loves the church. You cannot be a follower of Christ and not love the church that he loves. It is not possible. There are too many passages like this one that unpack the idea that if you are truly a follower, you will be plugged into a church, serving in that church, which is leading people to Jesus and growing people in Jesus. So are you part of something bigger? Because if your worship is all about God, and God loves His church, and you're not loving the church, then there's a disconnect. You're not worshiping the way that God calls you to worship. So we're part of a body. We're part of something bigger. And we all play a role. You see, your worship is directly tied to how you love God through living for Him. And part of that living is by serving and being a part of a family of God. There are benefits to being part of a family, but the focus is not on us right now. The focus is on Him, right? Because we're talking about worship. And if we love God, we'll love His church. So, worship is about being part of something bigger than you. That's part of what worship is. But there's more to this. Look now at the next passage, verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. As a matter of fact, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So Paul unpacked in uh, verses 3 through 8 that we're part of something bigger. We're part of a body, a family of God that he designed, that he created for us so that we can worship him. And then in verses 9 through 13, he unpacks just a little bit about how we as the body as the family of God are supposed to be living with one another. What does it say here? Let love be genuine. That can be hard sometimes, can't it? Because sometimes there are people that it's really hard to love. Yet we're called to love them anyways. There are times when it's really hard to love certain members of my family. I've got an uncle that passed a few years ago, and there were times that it was really hard to love him. But he was my dad's brother. And despite his imperfections and the difficulties in the relationship that I had with my uncle Sam, I still loved that, loved that guy. He passed away a few years ago, and I got to do his funeral. I got to do his service. And I was reminded in that moment that we're called to love to genuinely love. What else does it say? Abhor or, or hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. That's kind of hard in today's culture. Today's world that celebrates so much evil that, you know, I can go home right now and I can turn my TV on and flip through 
dozens, if not hundreds of channels and find evil repeatedly celebrated over and over and over. We're called to hate that which is evil and love that which is good. Good is defined by God. And so we must love what He loves. Hold fast to it. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. I love how it ends right here, the last half of verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Loving one another and showing each other honor should almost be a competition to us. We should constantly be striving to one-up one another in showing each other love and honor. Fight to love one another, to show one another the honor of being a brother and sister in Christ. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the Spirit, serve the Lord. That's what we just talked about in the previous passage. We're called to serve Him because we worship Him. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. What's our hope? Our hope is Jesus. And we are called to rejoice in Him. But look at how it continues. Be patient in tribulation. Our previous series that we were in the first half of this year was all on the book of Revelation. And one of the things that I hope you saw repeatedly through the book of Revelation is that tribulation and difficult times for those who follow Christ will come if it hasn't already come to you. We're pretty sheltered as Americans, but there are people in other countries that experience true tribulation, true persecution. And Paul here says, be patient in that tribulation. Just lean on Him. It continues, be constant in prayer. Repeating kind of what he said in First Thessalonians where he says, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Be in constant conversation with the one who you worship. And then verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and te- seek to show hospitality. Again, it's about part of worshiping God is how we love and treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So, Worshiping God is about worshiping Him. It's not about us. And worship, part of worship is that we're part of something bigger. And that being part of that something bigger means that we love one another and care for one another in a way that's almost competitive. That we, we, we seek to outdo one another in the way that we show one another love and care and provision. And then Paul shifts gears in verse 14 Because worship is not just about this group of people sitting in this room right now. Worship's also about what we do with our lives outside of these doors, outside of these relationships. So look with me in verse 14. This is hard, but it's the Word of God. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse. That's hard. I think there's a pretty high chance that there will be more persecution against the followers of Christ in this very country. 
Maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. But no matter what the situation, what's the call here in verse 14? Not to fight them. Not to get angry, not to seek revenge, not to get our way. What does it say? Bless them. Bless, do not curse. Bless those that persecute you. Isn't this what Jesus taught as well? Isn't this what Peter teaches? This is a consistent theme in the teachings of the New Testament. This is repeated over and over. Let's continue. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There are times when the people around you, whether in this room or people in your life, maybe a co-worker or a friend or a neighbor, there are times when they go through difficult times. And one of the most godly things, most, one of the most worshipful things that we can do is weep with them. Or rejoice when they're rejoicing. Sometimes that shows them the love of Jesus. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Kind of going back to that idea of not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think of yourself, right? You are no better. I'm no better than anybody else. Who are we? We are people who desperately need Jesus' salvation. Now, I hope that if you're in this room, it means that you have accepted, Jesus has presented the invitation of salvation to you, and you, through the Holy Spirit, have accepted that invitation of salvation, and you are His, you belong to Him, and you worship Him. I hope that that's you. But that doesn't make you any better than anybody else. Your salvation status, your uh, worldly success, your home, your possessions, your family, your group of friends does not make you any better than anyone else. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Trying, catch this part, trying to lead others to that salvation, right? But when we look down on people, it's going to be really hard to show them the love of Jesus if we think we're better than them. So don't think too highly of yourself. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. I love this part. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's that idea of, well, this person doesn't like me. Maybe they don't like me because of Jesus, but if I feed them when they're hungry, if I give them something to drink when they're thirsty, if they're cold, I'm going to give them my coat. When we do that, they can't help but recognize that the love of Jesus is there. Isn't that what we exist to do? 
if we claim to worship God? Our lives should be all about Him, not about us. All about Him. Last verse, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. With good. If we live the way Jesus lived, if we live by what Jesus taught, if we live by these words that are on the stained glass, will people not see the goodness of Christ and want what we've got? Romans 12 is a condensed instruction manual for being transformed by worshiping Him. This is our call. This is what He calls us to do. Now, I want you to notice one thing. As we read through Romans chapter 12 just now, what is the one common component in this chapter? Feel free to look down. Look at, look at Romans 12. What is the one common component, the common denominator in this chapter? You know what it is? It's you. You're nowhere in here. Where are you in here? Where are your opinions or your priorities or your desires or your dreams? Where are they in Romans chapter 12? Look back again at Romans 11.36, the verse right before Romans 12.1. What is Romans 12 about? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. There is not one single word, phrase, sentence, or idea in Romans 12 that focuses on you. Or me. It's not about us. It's about our Savior. It's about worshiping Him. You see, worship has nothing to do with us and has everything to do with the only being that's worthy of worship. You and I, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how good looking you think you are, no matter how together you think you've got it, You and I are not worthy of worship. He alone is. You know, we sing songs and those songs are about God, aren't they? They're not about you. They're about Him. You know, we were, my sons and I were driving to church this morning and we're listening to a a Christian playlist on Spotify. Now, if you're not familiar with Spotify, it's this online music library, and you can put together lists of songs. And we've got this uh, list that, that uh, someone put together, and it's really good, and it's worshipful. And we're, we're sitting there jamming out to these songs on the way to church this morning. And this song that I really enjoyed, we went through that song, and it ended, and it went to the next song. I was like, I don't like this song. Went to the next one. Oh, I like this one. And I kind of did that. I skipped through songs. And there's nothing wrong with that. But are the songs that we sing to God, are they anything about us? Even if you don't like the style of song that it is? 
I loved the end of last week. If you weren't here, we had a, a big family service kind of celebrating all that God had done with our, our children uh, and our teenagers over this summer through camp and vacation Bible school and stuff. God did some amazing things, and it was, um, it, it was awesome. I loved it. But we concluded the service, and I gave you kind of a preemptive, like, hey, just be aware of this. We concluded the service with a rap song. And this rap song was all about having solid, godly beliefs. Give me that old school doctrine. Give me that gospel. I don't want the lights. I don't want the fanfare. I just want God's word. And I just want to worship him. And I know, for some of you, it was really hard to sit through that song. You know what the two genres of music that are most hated are? Rap and country. You either like those genres or you hate. There's no in-between with those two genres of music. Go look it up. Go Google it later today. The two most hated types of music are rap and country. Wait. We had a country service in here like four weeks ago, three weeks ago, didn't we? The genre is not about you. Please hear me on that. The type of music, the song that's being sung, if it's giving worship to our king, it's not about whether we like that style of music. It's about going to him and saying, you are worthy. And there is nothing on this planet that should hinder us from proclaiming that to him. I'm not saying that you have to listen to rap music or country music. But what I am saying is that if we sing a song up here on a Sunday morning and you're like, I'm not going to sing this song because I don't like the style. Yeah, you're not worshiping. You're making worship about you, not about him. I'm not saying, please don't hear me on this. Please don't hear me. I did not say this. Please hear me clearly. I'm not saying we're about to change up our worship style. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the point. If that's what you heard, I denounce that right here. I like our worship, okay? What I'm saying is, maybe it's time that you look deep down inside and you said, What's my value? Who am I actually, or what am I actually worshiping? If you refuse to worship or sing because you don't like the style, you're not worshiping the Father. There's something else that's more important to you than giving Him the glory. And so I'm just challenging to think through what true worship is. You see, the way that we treat one another as the body of Christ, that's an act of worship. The way that we treat the world around us, that is an act of worship. And as I said a couple weeks ago, I'll say it again today, and I'm going to keep saying it through this series. Worship, singing worship is just a teensy tiny component of what true worship is. And if our singing 
or our approach to singing worship songs does not align with our life, then we need to reevaluate our life. And what does Romans 12, 2 say? That we should probably be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, how do we get renewed in mind? We allow the Holy Spirit to tear our preconceived notions down, tear down our pride, tear down our, our preferences and our opinions. Let Him tear those down and build up a mind and attitude of true worship that's about Him alone. So what is it in your life that maybe needs to be realigned and transformed by the renewing of your mind today? What area of your life are you not worshiping Him truly through? Let's go to the Lord and let's ask Him to help us know what those things are. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank You. We thank You that You are truly worthy of our worship. There is no other There is no thing, there is no being, there is no idea that is worthy of our worship. You alone are worthy. And for that, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are in our lives, in our worship, in the way we live. We thank you. And Lord, we pray today that you would help us to worship you through the way we live. If there is anything in our being, whether it be the way we treat one another or we treat someone around us, whether it be an attitude we have or something that is against you, we pray that you would transform that by renewing our minds, transform that into something that aligns with you, that gives you the worship. We thank you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, now as we go to you worshiping in song, we pray that you'll help us to worship and to be transformed by this act that we're about to do together as a body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.